0: Well, good morning. This is certainly not the way I envisioned my first Sunday back after several weeks of being on sabbatical. I was so longing and looking forward to being with you personally. I had in my mind's eye lots of handshakes and hugs. I envisioned a church full of people praising God together. And yet, here we are. I In my mind's eye, I see you in your living room, I see you on your phone, I see you on your tablet, your computer, or on your screen, and we are doing everything we can as a church to stay connected. Praise God for technology that allows that to happen. This is actually my worst nightmare as a pastor. Can you imagine as a pastor leaving to go on sabbatical, uh, saying goodbye to a church full of people, and then coming back and the church is empty on Sunday, Easter Sunday morning. Is this a nightmare? Am I going to wake up from a dream one day? Well, this is probably our reality, and you're feeling it just like I am, and this is such a strange time, but it is, it is a time for us to stay connected as best we can. I look forward to being with you at the earliest possible moment. I want you to get your Bible open. I've been looking forward to saying that for several weeks. Uh, This is a historic Easter Sunday. Easter 2020 will be remembered as a very historic Sunday. I think this is a collision between some of the bad some of the worst news we've ever heard and some of the best news we've ever heard and in reality uh, the news is worse than you actually realize I'm going to outline that here in just a moment and the good news is actually better than you may have realized and I am looking forward to outlining that as well I remember the year was 1991 I was 21 years old. I was living uh, in Memphis, Tennessee at the time because I was in graduate school there. I just completed my first semester of seminary. And I was looking forward to this day because it was the last day of the semester. I had finished my final exams for that semester and it was time to go home for Christmas break. And so I was in my 1967 Mustang, which was my most cherished possession And uh, driving through downtown Memphis with the radio blaring, 21 years old, driving a Mustang, headed home to see my parents for Christmas, I was on top of the world, and I ran through a red light and I smashed right into a blue Buick in this intersection in downtown Memphis. That will ruin your day. That will ruin your Mustang as well. It was a collision that came out of nowhere. I didn't see it coming. I certainly didn't see the blue Buick, and I certainly didn't see the red light. And I think Easter 2020 is much like that intersection. We are hearing every day about the news of the COVID-19 virus that has put us all in lockdown. And uh, the the news is pretty bad. I'm sure by now you have heard the numbers. As of this Easter Sunday, there's been about 1.8 million people in the world diagnosed with COVID-19, resulting in over 100,000 deaths. Um, That's put us into an economic crisis, is over... um, 20,000 deaths in the United States has resulted in the lockdown over 17 million people have filed for unemployment that's about 1 in 10 of that which is the workforce in the United States you may have been you may actually be one of those 17 million people and that's created a mental health crisis in our country Um, calls to the United States mental health helpline are up 891%. There is one thing that's in more demand than toilet paper, apparently, and that's alcohol, as online sales of alcohol are up 243%. And there's a spiritual health crisis as a result. Searches on Google for the word prayer are increasing... They're doubling for every 80,000 reported cases of the coronavirus as people are looking for answers and crying out. And because this pandemic is so contagious, of course, we're all locked down and we've been told to stay at home, and we should be told to stay at home because life is precious. And we want to love our neighbors, and the way that we're loving our neighbors in these days is actually separating ourselves, distancing ourselves from our neighbors. Life is sacred to God, and every life is to be protected, but there's something else the Bible teaches, about, teaches us about life. Life is temporary, and we're learning and feeling during these days how fragile life actually is. The truth of the matter is one of these days a good doctor, a good scientist is going to come up with a vaccine for the coronavirus to protect us all. But that's not the end of the bad news. Because if the coronavirus doesn't get you, something else will. You you know what COVID stands for, right? It's an actual it's an acronym. It means You can't outrun your very inevitable death. As a matter of fact, in these days, once the coronavirus has passed and a vaccine has been created, do you realize that according to the CDC, 2.8 million Americans die every year? That was before the coronavirus. That's 7,700 deaths every day. That's 321 deaths every hour. That's 5.3 deaths every minute. And according to the CDC, the leading causes of death in the United States, um, heart disease kills 640,000 Americans. Cancer kills 600,000 Americans every year, 170 Americans die in accidents coming out of nowhere. 120,000 die from Alzheimer's. 80,000 die from diabetes. 55,000 die from the seasonal flu. And 47,000 die because the news is so bad, they don't want to live anymore, and they kill themselves. As I was coming up to preach this message, I got a, a, an alert from the Weather Channel telling me that there's a high wind advisory and there could be power lines and trees coming down. You you can do whatever you can to avoid death. Your death is inevitable. And that was true before and will be true after the coronavirus outbreak. Here's the latest statistic on death. One out of one people die. You see, the news is really that bad. And the Bible has things to say to us. Jesus this morning on Easter Sunday has something to say to us about death. Now, that's been pretty depressing, but... It's time for some good news. All in favor of some good news, give me a thumbs up, a shout out, an amen in the living room. Here's the good news. And the good news is not new news to those of you that attend Gospel City Church. It's some of the most often repeated words we say around here. Here's the good news. News. Jesus died on a cross in my place as a substitute for my sin. And he is alive today to save all those who will repent and believe. Jesus has died so that you and I would not eternally be victims of death. We can have eternal life because Jesus is alive. And I want you to see this in the scripture. You've got your Bible open, I hope, to Romans chapter 5. And I want you to see three gospel collisions that take place in these verses. First of all, I want you to see the collision between suffering and hope. Let's read from our Bibles this morning. I hope this is not just an interaction between you and a screen, it's an interaction between you and a copy of God's word and let's ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us as we read. Let's begin in verse three. It says, not only that, let me just pause right there, he's obviously referring to the previous verse, the that that he's referring to is what he mentions in verse two, that he is rejoicing in hope in the glory of God. Now that's not hard to do. We can rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Those things sound very ethereal to us, but of course we can get excited about the glory of God and it's easy to rejoice when you are surrounded and saturated by the hope of the glory of God. But it's not just future. He flips it in verse three and says, not only that, but we rejoice, notice, in our sufferings. Are you able to rejoice as much in your suffering as you do in the hope of the glory of God? Do you see what the the writer of Scripture here, the Apostle Paul, he says there is an everyday collision between hope and suffering. He goes on to write this. He tells us that that suffering has a purpose. It's supposed to produce something within us. He says, we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that our suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. There it is. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us us. What is suffering? Let's define it this way. Suffering is any trouble or difficulty that we would never invite into our lives and do everything we can to avoid. The original word here is actually a word that means pressure or a pressing, like a crushing of a a grape that would produce juice or wine. God has a purpose for suffering. It's intended to produce something in us. And the truth of of the human condition is this. Suffering is not optional. Misery is not, uh, suffering is not optional, but misery is. You see, it depends on how we respond to our suffering. Our human condition, the fact that we live in a fallen world. We have never lived in the world that God designed us to live in, one without suffering. But because of sin, we live in a world that is full of pain and heartache, suffering and virus and death. And yet in our suffering, we should find hope, he tells us that this suffering is designed by God to produce something in us, namely endurance. Endurance is the capacity to remain under the weight of God ordained difficulty without forsaking our hope in Christ. How are you enduring during these days of suffering? I'm talking to some people right now who actually may be infected with the coronavirus or know someone who is. And some of you have had your heart broken because you've lost someone through the coronavirus or some other tragic event. Some of you are in a situation right now where you're facing a job loss and you're facing such economic certainty. Your identity may have even been challenged because you were so wrapped up in what you do and you can't do what you typically do and and you're going through a crisis of your own. So many things that we face in this world and yet for those of us that know Christ, we understand that all of those things are designed by a loving God to produce something in us, namely endurance. And then he tells that that endurance is supposed to produce a third thing in us, character. Character is a level of nobility that is proven only in seasons of suffering. It has the idea of testing. And your character is tested in seasons of suffering. Every suffering God ordains in our life is designed either to produce character, strength, nobility, morality, or that suffering will reveal a lack of character. But every season of difficulty is designed to help us to grow into a person of moral excellence, noble strength, and character. And so suffering is to produce endurance. Endurance is to produce character. Character is to produce hope. And that's the collision. Hope is the confident expectation that is tethered to a promise of a better tomorrow. And so those of us that know Christ understand the hope that one day the suffering will be removed. God will make all things right. King Jesus will be in our midst in a place where there is no pain, no sorrow, no coronavirus, and we long for that day and we anchor all of our hope in the fact that God is able to make dead things live. That is the hope of the resurrection. Not only that Jesus has been resurrected in history past, but that we who have hope in Christ will also be resurrected, no matter how terminal our condition is. And notice he says those that put their hope in Christ will never have to be ashamed. No matter what you're going through, you don't have to be ashamed. That you've lost your health. You don't have to be ashamed that you've lost your job because our hope wasn't in those things to begin with. And this this is a season where our hope is in Christ. You say, "I, I just don't know how I can get there. Notice he says, it's all because of the love of God that has been poured into our hearts. We anchor our hope in the fact that we are loved. And you can only understand and comprehend that if there is a work of the Holy Spirit that has illuminated us to that truth that you are loved. You say, Trent, I, I, just, I just don't see any evidence of God's love. I'm, I'm not really feeling the love right now. What's the evidence that I have been loved by God? Well, that's the next collision that takes place in the next verse. It is the collision of sin and love. Look at it here in verse six. For while we were still weak, underline the word weak, at that time Christ died for the ungodly. Underline the word ungodly. For, verse seven, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, Though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners. Underline the word sinners. Christ died for us. Now if you were paying attention as I read those verses the writer of Scripture just gave us some very unflattering descriptions of those of us who are human beings. All human beings born into this world, he describes as three things, weak, ungodly sinners. That is our, that is our born state. We are natural born sinners. And until we own that reality, we will never be able to comprehend the extravagant love of God that put Jesus on that cross. Notice it says we're weak. Do you you feel your weakness? And when when he uses the word weak there, he's not talking about the weakness like I have a weakness for Krispy Kreme donuts. Like, sometimes I can resist and sometimes I can't. It's not that kind of weakness. The weakness he's describing there is the weakness of a corpse to crawl out of a grave. That kind of weakness. It's a terminal condition. You see, sin doesn't just make you weak. Sin makes you dead, spiritually unable to respond as a corpse now, religion, those of us that may have, may have been exposed to church and you may have gone to a church that you felt like they were always telling you were a sinner and you were always weak and you felt weaker after you left church than, than you did before you came, religion will tell you that you must become stronger, but the gospel tells you you must become alive. That's the difference between religion and the gospel. And so the gospel teaches us that I'm not just weak, I'm dead and need a resurrection. Secondly, he calls us ungodly. Have, have you felt your ungodliness? That without Christ, outside of Christ, I, I have nothing but ungodly desires. Actually, the word there means anti-godly. I'm, I, I am the anti-god, and my ungodliness is not just linked to my behavior, my ungodliness is linked to my bent. I'm not just ungodly because I'm, I have bad behavior, I'm ungodly because I have a bad bent. I am bent away from God. It makes me allergic to God and it makes me addicted to painkillers. Not not medical painkillers, but sports and entertainment and sex and drugs and alcohol and all these different things that I would use to try to numb the pain of the existence that I'm living in. So he calls us weak, he calls us ungodly, and then he calls us sinners. Please, do not let the news of the coronavirus distract you from the fact that you already have a terminal condition. It is the SIN virus. It is highly contagious. It has a 100% mortality rate and we're all infected. Now, that's the bad news. That all of us are in this condition. Here's the good news. Here's the collision of sin and love. In this verse, he uses one of the most important words in the Bible. It's a little three-letter word. It's the word for, F-O-R. Christ died for those who are weak. Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for sinners. The death of Christ was designed by God for a purpose, to deliver us from our terminal condition. You see, on the cross, not only did Jesus die for us, Jesus was treated as if he was us. Christ was treated as if he was weak. Christ was treated as if he was ungodly. Christ was treated as if he was a sinner, do do you understand the reality of the gospel? Until you understand, I am so bad that Jesus had to die for me, you won't embrace the truth of the gospel. You'll just continue to try to be stronger and be godlier and sin less. But the truth of the gospel is, I am so bad, Jesus had to die for me. And the good news is this. Jesus loved me so much, he was glad to die for me. This is the love of God that collided with Christ, with my sin on that cross. I remember a time in my life when that became very real to me. Again, I was living in Memphis, Tennessee. I was about 22 years old at this point, and I was going to this huge megachurch, and this is back in the the, the early 90s. There weren't a whole lot of megachurches around back then, but it was Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee. Pastor Adrian Rogers was the pastor there, and I loved going to church there and absorbing his preaching. One of the biggest things that our church would do then was an Easter pageant, and it was really a national event. People would bus in from all over the country to, to attend this Easter pageant. 7,000 seat auditorium. There were eight different performances. So over 50,000 people saw this performance, a 300 voice choir in costumes and orchestra. It was a big deal. And in this particular year, I was able to obtain a role as a thief on the cross. You see, what happened was we actually reenacted the crucifixion of Christ. We had these three wooden crosses, and and, uh, there was a lot of, uh, you know, uh, special effects and makeup to make it look like we were really being crucified. And so I remember it was the night before the first performance, and a couple of hours before I was to show up at the church to play my part as the thief on the cross, I was playing basketball. And I remember going up for a layup, and out of nowhere there was a collision. A guy tackled me, apparently he thought we were playing football, and he tackled me. I missed the layup, and I landed on my left ankle. I don't mean I landed on my foot and turned my ankle. The first thing that hit the floor was the ankle, and I broke my ankle. And I began to think, oh, no, I'm not going to be able to play the thief on the cross. And I began to rationalize, how could I continue to do this? Because I was really looking forward to being the thief on the cross who died next to Jesus. And so I thought, well, I had a high top tennis shoe on. I won't take it off. Because if you don't take it off, it can't swell any bigger than the shoe. And so I left it on, drove the Mustang to the church, about a 30-minute drive, it was a stick shift, so I'm using the clutch with the ankle, which was incredibly painful to do. And I show up in the makeup room so that they can make me look like a beaten, bloodied thief. Took my shoe off, and all they had to do was make the rest of my body now look like my foot, which was black and purple and some shades of green in there. It was a mess. And and they began to reason with me. Are are you sure you want to go through this. I I think we could get somebody else to to play your role. And I'm like, no, 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 I can do it. And so the time came for us to be hung on the cross. And this is the way we did it. These huge crosses, they laid them down. And we were supposed to affix ourselves to the cross. And at the right moment, they were going to bring the crosses up and drop us in a four-foot hole. And at the moment that the cross landed in the hole, with my broken ankle and all of my body weight going onto that ankle, I let out a blood curdling scream that I'm sure terrorized the entire audience. And at that moment, I realized this is a bad idea. It was an extended scene, the choir was singing, and it was about a 10 minute episode where I was going to have to endure the pain on the cross of my ankle. And I'm thinking, I should not have done this. Is there any way I can get off the cross? And I had to endure. And I remember there was a moment where I looked over to my left. If you see the picture there, I'm the one on the left. I looked over to my left and I saw Jesus hanging there on the cross. And immediately this verse crashed into my mind. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 I have been crucified with Christ. And there I was in a a figurative sense, being crucified with Christ, but it is no longer I who live. It is Christ who lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself For me. The word for is one of the most important verses in the Bible. Jesus didn't just die as a good example. Jesus didn't wasn't just trying to be inspiring to see how much, so you could see how much he loves you. The cross was a collision between the love of God and the sin of Trent. And it caused excruciating pain to my Savior. Sometimes we think that the nails that were put through the hands and the feet of Jesus held Jesus to that cross. Not true. Nails are powerless to the God of the universe that created nails. It was the love that Christ has for you and for me that hung him and kept him on that cross? Has the love of God ever so impacted your life that you saw yourself as weak, as a corpse, completely unable of saving yourself, ungodly, anti-God, even the good intentions that you may have and the good behavior that you've been able to squeeze out of your life is motivated by self-righteousness? And have you ever owned the fact that you are a sinner worthy of death on a cross, and yet the love of God motivated Christ to go there. It's the collision of, of, of sin and love. And then thirdly, what we see in this passage is a, another collision. It's the collision of death and life. Look at verse nine. It says, Since therefore we have now been justified. The word justified means to be declared legally Righteous before God. You see, we have a legal problem with God. We've committed crimes against God. And God justifies us by making a declaration that we are legally innocent because God declared Christ on the cross legally guilty of our crimes. And because we have been justified, the scripture says, by his blood, much more shall we be saved. By him from the wrath of God. For if while we were sinners, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now shall we be reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. On the cross, there was a collision between God's sin-killing wrath and Christ's life giving blood. Jesus' blood collided with God's wrath so that you and I could be reconciled by God. You ever reconcile your checkbook? It means that until you do that, things are off. What the bank says and what your checkbook says is off. and It's not until you reconcile those things that they become one and they reflect the same thing. You and I, one day, will have a collision with the judgment of God. And if we have not been reconciled, that collision will result in us being eternally separated from the life of God. And yet because of Christ we now can come into reconciliation with God. You see, there was two things necessary in order for me to be reconciled by God. Number one, my sin, the penalty of my sin had to be paid for. The penalty had to be paved. The second thing is my perfection had to be performed. My penalty was paid by the death of Christ My perfection was performed by the life of Christ. You see, it's it's not just in the death. It's in the life of Christ. It's the fact that he is risen. It's what we celebrate. Jesus lives to reconcile me to God. And without confidence that I have been reconciled to God, when a crisis hits, when suffering takes place, I will become Fearful and selfish. You see, death becomes your greatest fear, and self preservation becomes your greatest focus if you do not have hope of eternal life. You'll begin to hoard everything, you'll live for yourself, you protect you and yours, you're less than generous to others if you know that you have not been reconciled because you're trying to save yourself. But for those of us who know and have confidence we have been reconciled to God, our lives become fearless and selfless. We, we die to ourselves. We lay down our lives for others. And we live with the confidence of knowing my greatest life is yet to be lived one day in eternity. We are saved by his life. Jesus is alive to save me every day. Notice the, the tense here is future. We shall be saved. The scripture teaches salvation in three different terms. Number one, for those of us who have received Christ, who have been reconciled to Christ, we have been saved. Settled forever. I have been saved. But right now I am being saved by the life of Christ because I sin every day. And I need to be saved every day from the sin that I commit every day. And then the hope that we have for the future is I shall be saved. I have been saved from the penalty of sin. I am being saved from the power of sin. And I will be saved from the presence of sin. This is the hope of Easter. On the cross, the power of my sin killed my Savior And through the resurrection, the power of my Savior killed the power of my sin. I don't have to be a slave to sin anymore. God can transform me from ungodly to godly, from weak to strong, from sinner to pardoned sinner. This is the hope of the resurrection. I need to preach that truth to me every single day to understand that every failure in the Christian life is a failure to believe the reality of what we are saying right now. We need to repent and believe the gospel every time we hear it. If you don't think the gospel is the answer to your problem, you don't understand your problem. It's not just bad behavior. It's a wrong belief system in my mind. It's a failure to repent and submit myself to the reality of Christ. Have you ever driven a car that has a collision avoidance system in it? My wife's car has a collision avoidance system in it. You drive it, you can't even drive it into the garage without it uh, alerting you and beeping at you and warning you, you're coming close to a collision here with, with something else. Do you know what this service is right now? You know what the Holy Spirit is doing right now? He, he is sending warnings to all of us that we ultimately one day will have a collision with a God who is a God of wrath and a God of justice, but also a God of love and a God of grace. And if we do not respond to the offer of God's grace, if we do not respond to the reality of the death and the resurrection of Christ by submitting our lives to him, we will have a collision with God that will result in our eternal separation from him. That's the bad news. But the good news is that right here, right now, you can receive eternal life, hope, that is designed to get you through every difficulty, every trouble, every virus, every pandemic, every job loss. Do you have a hundred percent certainty that you have eternal life in Christ? Wherever you are right now, can I just invite you to bow your heads and as much as you can, filter out every distraction? And more than my voice, would you listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit right now? What did you sense in your heart when we read from the scripture? And the scripture described us as weak. Did something well up in you is like, who who are you to call me weak? I I can do a few things. Ungodly, sinners. Is there something in you that rebels against those terms? Or is there something in you that's warming your heart to the fact that as you evaluate your life, honestly, what you see is weakness, ungodliness and sinfulness. Until you own those terms you'll never be able to appreciate the love and the grace and the knowledge that Christ died for those who are weak those who are ungodly and those who Who are sinners. And if you've never by faith received grace and the goodness of God, you can open your heart to Him right now and receive that grace. You can pray along with so many others right now. You can say, Lord Jesus, I'm so weak. I'm ungodly, I'm a sinner. My only hope is your death and resurrection for me. I've known general knowledge about the fact that you died on a cross, you came out of a grave, but I've never understood it to be for me and right now by faith. I receive your good gift, I repent of my sin. Give me a fresh start, a new beginning. All these things that we've read about being reconciled to God, I want to have confidence that that is true of my life, never to doubt it again. And because you died for me, I wanna live for you in every area. It's telling that. I wanna pray for you right now. Father, Holy Spirit, Jesus, Son of God, Trinity three in one, thank you for the promise that you are everywhere present at the same time. And so wherever people are hearing this, we trust your spirit is there. And I pray for those right now that have heard your word. I pray that you would grant faith to believe, warm, cold hearts, awaken dead hearts, resurrect spiritual corpses to respond in faith to you. I pray that by your spirit, you would cause many to be born again to have an eternal hope of resurrection life. In Jesus' name, amen.